Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. My plan for this morning is uh, to scare you. Now, it's not my normal uh, approach when it comes to preaching the good news, um, but uh, th- th- that's what I'm planning on doing. And I don't know what scares you, uh, but there are a few things that scare people more than the idea of blindness, right? Uh, there have been lots of studies that show that many, many people are more afraid of going blind than they are of getting cancer or, or, or things like that. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Not being able to see, being disorientated, um, being unaware of so much that's going on. Um, but when we talk about going blind, it's not just physical blindness that's scary, is it? There, there's other kinds of blindness. We can be blind to reality. I, uh, I like watching Survivor uh, on TV, and the best move in Survivor is the blind side. Someone thinks they're safe. They've got this strong alliance, and then out of nowhere, their alliance turns on them and votes them out, and they did not see it coming. Now, people hate getting blindsided, and you watch their face in Survivor as it happens, and it's like, you are kidding, and you feel this, this feeling inside you as you're just watching them. It happens. People hate getting blindsided. But getting blindsided in Survivor is one thing, but getting blindsided in life, man, that's the worst. It, it just makes you feel absolutely terrible. You, you thought reality was one thing, and then out of nowhere, you were shown uh, that you had it all wrong. I don't know if you've ever been blindsided by people who you thought were friends or or by family. It's a horrible thing, realising that you didn't have a good grasp on reality. Finding out that you'd been blind. It's like, imagine discovering that you were adopted when you're an adult, you find that out. That's That's a pretty big thing to find out, right? Talk about pulling the rug out from underneath someone. But then, it can also be scary to think of other people being blind to reality, especially people in power. We've got a state election coming up, and man, there are parties on every side who are clearly blind to a whole lot of issues. And the prospect of the party that's blind to an issue that you feel passionately about getting into power, that's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? Doesn't matter where you sit on it. Being blind physically, being blind to reality, or having others blind to reality are all frightening things. And you know why? Because when it comes to blindness, there is absolutely nothing that you can do about it. You can't force a difference. If you're blind, straining your eyes isn't going to help you see. And that's also the thing about the blind side, isn't it? You don't know it's coming. You couldn't have foreseen it because it's a blind side. Now, in in today's passage in John, there is physical blindness, there are blind people in power, and a big blind side coming for people. We see all those things happen. And so what we have before us today is so incredibly important for us. And you know why? We're all going to die one day. And on that day, we're going to discover if we've been seeing reality in truth or if we've been blind to it. And the consequences of being blind are eternally monumental. Jesus has plenty to say about this. He's got a warning to give, but it's a scary one. And I really want us to feel it this morning. So we're going to dig into John chapter 9, 
Uh, now, Lillian helpfully read the first 12 verses for us. We're, our aim is to get through the entire chapter uh, this morning. And so my plan is we'll go through the narrative, uh, considering a couple of things along the way. And then I'm going to draw out two big things about sight and blindness. And hopefully in all of this, we'll see how it actually can change our lives. If you've got any questions, text them in to the, to the number um, that, uh, that comes up on the screen. Um, and uh, you might want to write it down because I don't think it'll be on the other slides. Uh, so feel free to whack into your phone right now. <laughs> um, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see the truth. We pray that you would change our hearts. Help us to see Jesus for who he is and that our lives would never be the same again. And help us live in the light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's kick on through the narrative. And what happens is it starts out with the disciples asking Jesus a question about a blind man. Look down there at verse 1, chapter 9 with me. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that might seem like a bit of a harsh question to us, doesn't it? All right, seeing this guy who was blind and going, oh, must be sin, that's what's going on, they're sinful or their parents are sinful or something, it feels a bit rough to us, doesn't it? But this was actually a raging hot question for the Jews back in the day, because what happened is the the Old Testament law, it is super clear, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed, you'll be healthy, you won't, for example, be blind, but if you sin and disobey the law, all sorts of bad things will happen. And so, uh, thinking with that in your mind, if you see someone who's blind, you go, oh, it must be sin. You know sin's involved there somewhere. Now, the Old Testament, the whole thing, it is a bit more nuanced than that. There are righteous people who suffer. Job, Hannah, she's barren, prophets are murdered. There are lots of them who, who do suffer. But the general system that the law sets up is that the righteous will prosper in the Old Testament and the sinner will suffer. But what about someone like this guy who they see, who was born blind? Did did he really break the law so badly while he was in the womb that he was born blind? Oh, I don't know. Is that even like how how does that work? Maybe, maybe it was his parents. You you see, see this dilemma for them. Uh, And so that's the debate that that Jesus' disciples are stepping into, and they're like, "Oh, Jesus, you're the wise guy. Give us the uh, give us the answer." And, but like, like we've seen so often in John, Jesus gives this masterful answer and shows that all the Jews of the day, including the disciples, they're actually missing some pretty important pieces of the puzzle. Look down at his answer there at verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I hear your debate, but you're all off the mark. Yes, there is a category where sin can affect these things, but there is something far bigger at work here. The reason this guy was born blind wasn't because of sin, it was so that I could heal him so that I could provide you with another sign to display my glory, so that I could do the works of God. Now, 
Just pause there for a second, because I don't know how you feel about this. How do you feel at the thought of God creating someone to be born blind just so that he could heal him? How do you feel about that? Because that's what Jesus is saying, right? He set up this whole situation so that he would get the glory. He's going to go on to heal him, but man, Jesus is being clear. The healing of this guy, it's not first and foremost about this guy. It's first and foremost about Jesus. It's about God. How do you feel about that? Well, did you know it's not just the healing of this guy that this is true for? God is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over your life. Everything that has ever happened to you, good or bad, everything that will ever happen to you, good or bad, is all for His glory. This, this world is all about Him. Now, that might not sit right with you, I don't know. But that's what Jesus is telling us is the reality. And can I say... If Jesus is a really, really, really good God, then it's actually a good thing that it's about Him. It's like if you're hanging out with a chef friend and you're getting hungry and you're like, oh, one of us has to cook. And the chef's like, I'll do it. Like, you kind of want Him to make it about Him, don't you? Because you're going to get better food. If it's left, left to me to cook, we're not eating well tonight. So I want to make it about Him in that decision. That's what life is for us. I'll tell you, it is way better for me if Jesus is at the centre of my life than if I am. Because His glory walks all over mine. And getting a hook in on that is so much more fulfilling and better for me. But it does come at a cost. The cost of me being at the centre. Which so many of us have grown up being told. <laughs> We're at the centre of the universe. Even at the centre of this great healing miracle isn't the blind guy. Yes, Jesus loves him. He genuinely cares for him. Yes, he chooses to give him the life-giving gift of sight as the way to display his glory. But the driving factor in this incredible miracle is Jesus' glory. And that's why as a church we focus on his glory, not ours. It's why we focus on his words not just on whatever makes us feel good. We take Jesus and His glory incredibly seriously, and it's the best thing we could do. All right, that was a bit of an aside. We're only five verses in, so let's keep moving. Uh, we might move a little bit more quickly, perhaps. Verse 6 and 7, as we heard before, is where Jesus does the incredible miracle of giving sight to the man born blind. And Seriously, we cannot downplay this. This is nuts. I have a friend who is an expert eye surgeon. He has, he has enabled countless numbers of people to see, who couldn't see beforehand, over decades. One thing he has never done is enabled someone who was born blind to see. This isn't just fixing something that's deteriorated over time, as amazing as that is in and of itself. No, this is more a creation-like miracle. It's giving life to eyes that never had it before. This is amazing, so amazing, in fact, that even this dude's neighbours were like, oh, I don't know, are you actually the guy? Like, they lived near him. They knew him. And they're like, is it him? I don't know. Look at verse 8. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
Some of them said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. It is, it is incredible. It is staggering. But then at this point, the narrative takes quite a turn. Jesus, he, he's, he's actually disappeared and everything is thrown into a bit of chaos. Because as we heard in the kids' video, this happened on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees were not fans of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. The Jews, they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were like, Jesus healing? No, that's working on the Sabbath. That's not all right. They've been battling Jesus for ages and this is a big beef they have. Look down at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. (laughs) These Pharisees, they're thrown into turmoil. They're freaking out because it happened on Sabbath. But at the same time, it's this incredible miracle. So he has to be from God. But he did it on a Sabbath, so he can't be from God. But it's amazing, so it has to be from... They don't know what to do. But then they show themselves to be so blinded by their jealousy and their sin and their hatred of Jesus that they just, they cannot comprehend the truth. Let let me give you a quick summary. They they call in this guy's parents and want to ask him. And they're like, no, 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 we're not having a bar of that. We've copped the line about... Maybe his parents were sinners because he was born blind his whole life. We're not stepping into this. And so they're like, no, he's old enough. He can talk for himself. And then they call him back in and he's like, let me just tell you what happened. And then they question him and he's like, I'll just tell you what happened. He's like, guys, all I know is this dude, Jesus, he healed me. I couldn't see and now I can see. It's this incredible miracle. You, You should rejoice. You should be praising God. But instead, you're getting angry at me. You're getting angry at Jesus. What's up with that? In fact, this dude has, has, who's just got physical sight, but he can also see something else. He can see pretty clearly that the Pharisees are blinded right now. Check out what he says there at the end of it all, verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. The the no longer blind man calls out the Pharisees for their blindness and they throw him out. On the day that he gains physical freedom, he loses his freedom in society. Because getting cast out of the synagogue, the public center of life in the Jewish world, it, it meant isolation. It meant you lost so much. But the ever-compassionate Jesus, he comes and he finds him and he gives him so much more than physical sight, than freedom in society could ever poke a stick at. He gives him spiritual sight, spiritual freedom. Look down there at verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Isn't that just like Jesus, to go and find him, to show compassion and give him something even greater? But that's what Jesus does. That's why he came down to this earth, to come and to find us, cast out of the kingdom of God because of our sin. He comes to us lost and needy and blind with no hope of salvation. But he comes to us. We would never come to him. (laughs) 
We would never find our way to him on our own, but he comes. Because that's what the Messiah does. He comes to rescue the blind. And that's actually the first big thing that I want to draw out this morning, now that we've been through the narrative. Jesus heals this guy to show that he's the Messiah, God's anointed King and Saviour. Remember how at the start of the narrative, Jesus said that, that all of this was to show the works of God? Do you remember how over the last few weeks, um, we, we've heard that in John 20, 31, Jesus, uh, John says that all these miracles show that Jesus is the Messiah. They're all signs pointing to him. Jesus doesn't just heal the guy's eyes because it's a nice thing to do. Although, let's be honest, it is a super nice thing to do. No, 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 he's revealing who he is. He's the Messiah, God's Messiah. Because opening the eyes of the blind was one of the Messiah's job descriptions back in the Old Testament. Actually, keep a finger there in John chapter 9 and flick back to Isaiah 42, which, which is what Lillian read for us before. Isaiah 42 we see a promise that God makes about what His servant, the Messiah, the light of the world, will do. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from their dungeon, from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in utter darkness. Who sit in darkness. God says, when my Messiah comes, you know what? He's going to be a light. He will open the eyes of the blind and bring out prisoners from the dungeon. And then 600 years later, Jesus rocks up and says that he's the light of the world. He heals this man born blind and proclaims freedom for people who are held captive to sin. Who is Jesus claiming to be? The Messiah. Who is Jesus proving himself to be by this incredibly miraculous act? God's Messiah. He is the light of the world. He reveals truth. He brings life. He saves. Now, we have heard a bit throughout John that Jesus is the light of the world. But have a think for a second. Light by itself isn't enough. Imagine two people who are held prisoners in a dark dungeon. One of them is blind, the other can see. Although neither of them can see because they're in a dark dungeon. Neither of them can see anything. Until someone, I don't know, they send like a drone in there which has a torch and like shows them the way out and it lights the way out for them. Which one can see the way out? Well, only the one who has sight. He's now got a light and he can see the way out. Beforehand, he couldn't see because he didn't have light. But a blind person, they can't see in the light any more than they can see in the dark. What they need is both light and the healing of their eyes. Jesus is the light. And he also heals the eyes of the blind. And he can heal the eyes of our hearts because of the cross. As he died... His blood produced the medicine, the salve that could open our eyes, that could save us. As He reveals Himself, as we encounter all that He did and that He said in the Scriptures, 
He both shines the light and enables people to see that light at the same time. It's as we encounter him, both things happen. Flick back with it to John 9. We see it actually play out with the man who's been healed of his blindness. Look down there with me again at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is Jesus' favourite nickname for himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, and it's another title for the Messiah. And Jesus asks this man if he believes in him. And verse 36, he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This man believes in Jesus the Messiah. Not only have his physical eyes been opened, but the eyes of his heart have been opened. He sees Jesus physically and spiritually. Jesus, the Messiah, has shone his light on this man and opened his spiritual eyes, the eyes of his heart. He has seen Jesus the man and he has seen Jesus the Messiah. In his book, John uses so many different metaphors to talk about belief. And one of them is sight. So as we talk about seeing Jesus, we're talking about believing in Jesus. Do you see who Jesus is? Do you believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one who will rule forever, who holds the keys to freedom, who comes to shine his light on you? He offers you eternal salvation, the great salve for your blind eyes. He offers you to see reality with him at its head. Do you see him? Do you believe? Man, he is so incomprehensibly good that when we see him, when we actually see him, we're drawn to him like a moth. And so we do believe. Have you been drawn to Jesus? Now, as I said earlier, we can't do this on our own. We can't just force see him on our own. We can't fix our own blind hearts by squinting or straining. No, it's, the, it's only the light and the surgeon who can do it. Which means, if you would like to see him, you need to ask. Ask. Ask him that you might see him. He loves to grant that request. But you can't do it without coming to him and asking. It also means that for those of us who can see, those of us who believe, wow, our hearts ought to be overflowing with gratitude. How do we not every day just overflow at this incredible gift of sight, of life, of love? Who are we? We're no better because we can see. Let's keep all smugness from us. We need to. I reckon we've got a real danger of thinking that we're better than other people. I have that as a real danger. We are just healed blind people showing other blind people where they can find the salve for their eyes. And that salvation is always and only in Jesus the Messiah. That's the first big thing that we see here. 
Jesus is the Messiah. Come to him today if you haven't already. Resolve to stay with him always if you have. And the second big thing we see, and this is the scary bit, I think, spiritual blindness ought to be absolutely terrifying. I don't think we need much convincing that blindness is is a scary thought. Not being able to see or being aware of certain aspects of reality that we take for granted. But how chilling is it that Jesus uses that metaphor when speaking about spiritual realities? Now, it could get slightly confusing for us as we're going on because there's this dude who was physically blind and now we're talking about being spiritually blind, seeing with the eyes of our heart, believing in Jesus. But this is something Jesus has been doing the whole time, right? He feeds 5,000 people with bread and fish. It's not about the bread and fish. It's about the fact that he goes on to say, I am the bread of life and it's believing in him. And so as we see this man who was blind physically be healed... We need to remember, oh, the big point, though, is this spiritual sight, believing in Jesus. And that's what we're talking about right now. And what the passage says here is that spiritual blindness is truly terrifying. Let me illustrate. Imagine you live in a house on the edge of a cliff. And you look down into this massive abyss and you can't see the bottom. It just goes on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, you notice people over the way walking down the hill towards this cliff. They're headed straight for it. There's this woman who's right on the edge. And then you realize by the way she's stumbling, she's actually blind. And then she just steps over the edge and gives this horrible scream as she falls without knowing that it was coming. And there are more people walking, men, women, families, all blind, headed for this cliff. And you hear the shrieks of of realisation as they fall and they grasp for nothing but air, as they fall into infinite nothingness. Isn't that a terrifying image? But that is exactly the image that Jesus uses to talk about the spiritual state of everyone in our world who has yet to come to him. Whether they are one step away from the edge or 10,000. And we need this vivid imagery because as we look around Port Macquarie, it doesn't look like there's a problem. People don't look like they're blind. Doesn't seem that bad. But Jesus says it is worse than the most vivid imagery we can come up with. There is something far worse than an endless drop facing people. But he says, I have come to bring life. I've come to bring sight and freedom. Let me show you that that this is exactly what Jesus is saying. There in verse 39, right after this guy says he believes in Jesus. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, And those who see may become blind. Now remember, he's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight, being able to see God, see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, and so have life in their name. He's come to bring spiritual sight to those of us who recognize that we're blind, who recognize in our sin that we can't see him properly. 
that we walk away from him. But to those who think that they can see on their own, that they don't need him, well, he just told us in verse 39 that they will be blind. In verse 41, he actually explains that what he means is their guilt for sin remains. They haven't humbled themselves and come to believe in Jesus. These Pharisees, they claim they can see rightly. But Jesus says that when they step off that cliff into death, they are going to be blindsided big time. They will fall and face the wrath of God for all of their rebellion, for all of their sin, including seeing Jesus and rejecting him. Wow. This is going to be so frightening for them, realizing that they've been blind and facing the eternal consequences. And imagine the regret that they're going to have forever, being like, he was right there. I could have believed in him. Why didn't I? But for this man who now sees Jesus in two different ways, he will have life everlasting. He got the incredible victory of physical sight, followed by the infinitely greater victory of spiritual sight. Now, how do we bring this all together? Well, the big question for us is, do you see reality? And more pointedly, do you see Jesus? He is our only hope of salvation. Because there is nothing we can do on our own. In our blindness, we are completely at His mercy. But what a one to be at the mercy of. He is the light of the world. He came down to save you. Call out to Him. Ask Him to open the eyes of your hearts this morning. If you never have, believe in the one who can fix your eyes. And then you'll know that whatever day you step off that cliff edge of death, you'll actually not fall. You'll be taken to life everlasting. What about those of us who already see Jesus? Well, my question for us is, what are our blind spots? We all have blind spots where our lives don't match our beliefs. What what are they for you? Blind spots are actually hard to find because, well, they're our blind spots. (laughs) You can't see your own blind spots. That's why we need to read the Word, have that light shine on us. It's why we need to chat to each other about more than just the weather. It's why, as preachers, we regularly bring up issues that we face as Christians. The longer we actually spend sitting in our blind spots, the weaker our eyes get. And it is a slow fade back into the world of spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness. And I've seen it again and again and again. I've not even been around for that long. (laughs) Don't let it happen to you. And here in Port Macquarie, I'll tell you what I reckon our biggest blind spot is. Comfort. We are so comfortable in this place. We've got the beach. It doesn't get too hot or too cold. It's not as busy as the big smoke, but we've still got Kmart, right? (laughs) We love it. People, they generally, they want to be chill and friendly. It is so easy for us to become complacent. If someone took a look at your week 
and just saw what you did, would your life look like every other blind Port Macquarian? Or would someone be able to tell, no, this is someone who can actually see? Where have you been sucked into the trap of comfort? Port Macquarie is full of the spiritually blind. But how much do we actually do in pointing them to the Saviour? I'll tell you, it is way more comfy to use our money, whether you've got loads or little, to overindulge in tasty food or, or to set up family financial security than it is to give costly to kingdom things. It is way more comfy to spend hours in front of the TV or, or on the Kmart Hacks Facebook page than it is to spend time reading the Bible with someone. It is way more comfy to care more about our kids' education than to prioritise school as a mission field. It's way more comfy to talk about nothing of importance than it is to help your blind workmates or friends see reality. Point out that they desperately need Jesus. Tell them that they are on the edge of a very, very dangerous cliff. That stuff is not comfy at all. But if we got to look in on each other's lives, would we see money, time and conversation spent on comfort or on the kingdom living? We love comfort. It is so nice. But Jesus wants to push us out of it. That's why he gives us this scary image. You remember that expert eye surgeon I mentioned earlier? You know what he did? Although he loved his work, he ended up retiring early and giving his life to, to gospel work. Because you know what he realized? Every person that he enabled to see would still die one day. And most of them were spiritually blind. So he retired early and gave his life to help people see spiritually. Because although he knew his work beforehand was good and valuable and important, it couldn't compare to helping people see their God. Jesus doesn't want us to sit on the edge of the cliff in a plush recliner, airpods in, closing our eyes, as blind people fall into, it, into their eternal fate. No. Let's run hard and use everything available to direct them to the great surgeon, to the light of the world and life everlasting. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, you are so good. You are so good and kind to give us real warnings of real danger. We thank you for this horrifying image. Oh, it makes us terrified that this is reality for so many people in our broken world. And yet we thank you that you've given us this image so that we don't get complacent. And Father, thank you even more that you've given us the light of the world, the great surgeon, Jesus the Messiah. Father, I pray there wouldn't be one person in this room, one kid out in kids' church or the teenagers in D-teams who don't see him, don't believe in him. Father, as we believe in him, do not let us sit in plush armchairs, but let us give our lives to help other people see truly as we hear what is on the line this morning. Do that work in me, do that work in us for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. 
Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.